I mean, are you, you going to do the podcast tonight or going to do the podcast? I'm literally scurrying from computer to computer, seeing if there's somewhere else. Cause I was trying to do it. I didn't want to tell you, I was trying to do it on an iPad for video and then an audio on a different computer and mm -hmm. have you send out two links. Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's just, it's not, uh, and I'm drinking a, a, a vodka. Well, that's not good. Uh, okay. All right. Hang in there. Take a breath. <laughs> See you in a minute. This is terrible. It's a good start. Is this too loud? No, you sound very far away. Right now, okay. What about right here? Is that not loud enough? I mean, how are you in radio? Well, <laughs> I can't. I can't it tell. It sounds like you you're in a bathroom. I'll go set up in a. I'll go, I'll just go set up in a studio right now. Then. Oh, like with soundproofing. Sound <laughs> and this was your third choice. Why? Well. I don't want to talk about it right now. All right. All right. We'll try this again. Third time's a charm. <laughs> I like that the one of us that has a soundproof studio at his disposal somehow didn't think that that would be a good place to record until, well, now. Put that coffee down. That's a clown question, bro. live lance let's go that's what i'm excited about being live we are live have you like ever we done got anything like this no i've never done a live show before this is going to be weird to this be live on a microphone hello does this can you hear that yeah i can hear it you're good to go okay test check this check. is weird for me because i usually have people putting on my microphones uh you know for me and so having to do this on my own without a sound department is, uh, well, it's all new to me. You know, we don't get in the uh, radio business. What's that? Fluffers. Oh, well, yeah. you know, we don't, I'll tell you what we don't get anymore in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> what? I, you know what? I hate that I'm anticipating what, I don't know what you're going to say. Why am I laughing? Doesn't matter. We'll just leave that at that. All right. Um, that's fine. I know that uh, there's a lot of talk right now about uh, no longer having hair and makeup departments apply the makeup because of. So there's a thing right now, coronavirus. Um, I don't know if you heard about it. Mm -hmm. It's the COVID thing. Yeah. So yeah. apparently people are it's like 19. It's like the 19th. COVID coronavirus is what they're telling me. Or it was done in 2019. It's tricky. I haven't heard all the information on it yet. Yeah. People aren't really covering it. No. Anyway, they're very scared about people being close to each other. And so they're talking about doing drastic things in Hollywood. We would have to dress ourselves as actors. Huh? Uh, yeah. We'd have to dress ourselves. We would also have to um, put on our own makeup and do our own hair. And I'm not standing for it. Let me ask you a question. Two of those sound easy. One of those sounds like it could take some getting used to. Yeah, uh, I know what you're thinking. Putting on mm -hmm. clothes. <laughs> exactly. But in this climate, you're going to have to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in this climate, for sure. Between mm -hmm. Me Too and COVID, clothes, not yeah. optional. Not optional. But, um, but that does bring up a question. So... This is something I wanted to ask you. You say clothes, not optional. However, one of the things that's happening in England, there's a nudist uh, group. Okay. And they're over the last two months. Mm -hmm. This is a real story. Over the last two months, their membership has gone up. 210 people have, have wow. joined now. And they are experiencing their quarantine in the nude. So Together. now you, you have a family. Well, I don't know mm -hmm. if it's together or not. This is my point. You have a family and all that. That's fine. Obviously, you're your regular dad. Let's say you were Eric. Let's. How long have you been married? I've been married 11 years. Okay. Let's say this is Eric 12 years ago. Okay. And we had a pandemic. Is there mm -hmm. any chance 
12 years ago, Eric would have run around his house naked at all. Or better yet, do you do that at all in hotels or in um, when you're at the house, if, if the wife and kids are away, do you just say, you know what? There's no reason for me to wear pants or underwear. No, I'm not a, I'm not a nude. Uh, I, I don't tend to walk around. Nude. I know, I know a lot of people like that. I, um, I, I'm just, I always like now I walk around in my boxers or I'll get out of the shower, throw a towel on and, and just, I, I could live in a towel for sure. So I could go out of the shower, wrap a towel around my waist, walk around the house, watch TV, do the whole nine in a towel. Totally happy. Not in the nude. Um, just not. Yeah. I don't know. It's not my jam. Um, I, I guess I'm afraid I'll gamble and lose on my sofa and then have, you know, a mess on my hands. I don't know. So, Okay, then let me take. Now you're on the road a lot. Yeah, should we? For, for people who don't know, you are an actor. You're an. Yeah, award I was going to say, should we maybe time out and just enter? I mean, we obviously people know who we are. Like you read the name Lance Zerline, immediately know who that is. Everyone Eric knows, Layden. right? Yeah, big time. for for maybe the I don't know less than one percent people who are listening to this and don't know who we are. Mm-hmm. Should we give a little background? Yeah, I think that's probably pretty important. I want you this to go is very first. much like us to just hop on the phone and start talking about nudists. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's that's it's not unlike what we do. And I had a point I was going to get to, but I'll I'll wrap this all in together with who you are. I want to start with your background. So you okay, were an actor, right. mm-hmm. um, and I'll get into your road trips and Did things. You say like that. were you are an actor oh, just okay. because there's a pandemic. I don't. You're still to me. You're still an actor. Acting every day. I don't think there's an expiration date on acting. Nope. Still an actor. Go ahead. You do have to get recertified as an actor. (laughs) You don't have to get certified to begin with, which is a problem. Do you take continuing acting education? Like lawyers have to take continuing legal education. Do you, do you have to go to seminars? No, but I practice my craft. I practice my craft. Much like a lawyer practices his and a doctor practices his, I practice my craft. So when is it, what's the first, you went to USC. Mm Mm-hmm. To study, you're from Houston. You went to right. USC to study, mm-hmm. uh, to to study your craft. The one on the West Coast. Correct, correct. The one on the West Coast, not the Gamecocks. Right. Nope, the Trojans. Mm-hmm. You can make a joke there, but it's not in this climate. Mm. I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you: You had, um, you were going to school at USC. Did you get any gigs while you were at USC honing your craft? I did. So one of the reasons I decided to go out to Los Angeles to USC was just that fact. It was in LA. So I, I was kind of deciding between a couple conservatories, Carnegie Mellon, um, Juilliard, NYU, SMU, actually, at one point, if I wanted to stay in Texas. But at the end of the day, I decided I wanted a big school. I wanted uh, a football program. And you know, I, I just wanted to have the life of like a big school. Um, and so I ended up at USC also due to the fact it's in LA, I was able to, you know, kind of the summer before my senior year, I stayed in LA. I got a job waiting tables at the cheesecake factory. Uh, and I started just sending out my headshot resume. I I probably sent 200 headshots and resumes out. Um, the headshot, I'll have to find it for you was the most brutal photo you've ever seen. Uh, acne, butt cut. I was a fan of Goodwill <laughs> Huntings, so I kind of wanted to go for like a Matt Damon look, parted right. down the middle. Man, it was bad. It was real bad. I definitely had forehead acne. Um, and my resume probably had two lines, like plays from USC. But I got, I did end up getting a man, an agent out of it who was a guy named Amir. He lived in the Valley. And I'm pretty sure he, he just represented porn stars. Um, and any, any reason you believe that? Because when I was sitting in the lobby, it was mainly porn stars mm. and it was in the Valley. Those are just two and two, just, just connecting I mean, the dots. Yeah. When you're, yeah. I mean, an agent in thousand Oaks, like not an agent in town. You know what I mean? You're like a lottery scratch off card to Amir. You have no, there's no real hope for you at this particular time. But for him, he's like, you know what? If he hits it, 
if he hits anything, I'm what, 10, 10%? Yeah, 10%. I, I think Amir was probably going to try to see if he couldn't move me into the uh, mom son fetish game type thing. So you he know, had I was a plan. A very, I think he did. I was a very young looking 18. Uh, I was 18 more playing 14. <laughs> He's going to flip you into the fetish game. I think he might have tried to flip me into the fetish game. So yeah. he nice. signed me and I yeah. booked a commercial uh-huh. and uh, and I got my SAG card. So then I ended up doing, uh, yeah, I did it, it, that commercial actually, I, it was a Super Bowl commercial. Not Red Tube? Oh. For, no, not Red Tube. This was a Super Bowl commercial for Pepsi. And then the next week, I booked a Super Bowl commercial uh, with Bobby Knight for Minute Maid. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on yeah. a second. Yeah. How did you book? Your first commercial was a Super Bowl gig? That's right. Yep, Pepsi. There's no way. Amir got you a Super Bowl gig. He or did. did. you get it on your acting credentials? Well, I mean, I'd like to think that it was more of a 70-30. But I had to get in the room. I had to get in the room. Amir got me in the room. I'll tell you what. The guy who directed that commercial, his name is Joe Pitka. Okay? This is my very first job as an actor. Joe Pitka is, he is like the Steven Spielberg of commercial directors, certainly at that time. I mean, he was huge. Four or five Super Bowl commercials a year. Some of the best commercials ever made were made by this guy, Joe Pitka. He's about 6'4". He's got gray stringy hair down midway down his back. He is probably about 270, drives a Lambo, a bright, bright orange Lambo, and is a huge sports fan. Do you know what movie he directed? What? Space Jam. That's where I know the name because it was been in the last dance documentary. Oh, I saw him on T. I saw him on episode seven. Was he on there? Yes, they showed him, and he was talking about the fact that they had to create a basketball court for Michael Jordan while he was doing Space Jam. That's right, and which was, by the way, the coolest part of that episode. I, I can't even imagine being in those pickup games, which would have been ins- or just watching them. But anyway, he directed it. The guy is an it's an he's an absolute lunatic. This man yells at people, fires people on the spot. Um, he is crazy so my agent said to me be careful don't take it personally this guy's gonna yell at you just don't worry about it i said that's fine that's fine makeup told me when you're is this your first job ever yes all right just don't worry he's gonna yell at you whatever so it was raining and we were shooting outside way way deep outside of la and i do one of the takes and i go into his little tent area because it's got a heater and i was freezing my ass off and he comes barreling in. He hadn't even said a word to me. He comes barreling into the tent and he goes, the fuck are you doing in my heat in my tent? I said, I'm cold. He said, you're cold. What are you a pussy? <laughs> and it, it, it was, I think this moment was the moment that changed my life as an actor. Because I said to him, I said, I guess I'm a cold pussy. And I didn't move. And I just sat there. I just was like, yeah, I mean, maybe I am, but I'm cold as shit, you know? And from that moment on, he respected me, right? He was like Jordan. He respected me for not yeah. backing down. He recognized he had seen that before. What you showed him in that moment. He had seen from Jordan. He had seen that from Jordan. That same right. will, that same willful attitude. And he's like, fuck, this seems familiar. Where have I That's seen right. It? Oh, shit. Oh, he's the yep. Steve Kerr of my Jordan. Yep. I was the Steve Kerr of his Jordan. He punched you in the eye, but gained respect from you or re- gained right. respect for you. I should say. That's right. So he says to me, he goes, you play basketball. I say, yeah, I can play basketball. So think about Joe Pitka. He takes a basketball hoop with him to every set. It's part, it's on his rider Bad. they set up a basketball. He says at lunch, I'm going to play basketball with you. I said, all right. So at lunch, we start shooting hoops, play basketball. He sees I can play a little basketball. He goes, what are you doing next week on Tuesday? I said, uh, I don't know, school. He said, you want to be in a Minute Maid commercial with Bobby Knight? I said, yeah. He said, done. This so is all next- because you said, I guess I'm a cold pussy. Let, let's right. be real. That's this all is I said. The reason, this yes. is the reason you got that gig. Yes, 
because I stood up. I was like, because I didn't go, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Pitkin. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I would have just bailed but, like, oh, it's my mistake. I don't know where my I mistake. was. My mistake. I didn't know where I was. Uh, and he got me that gig. And then I did the, the deal with, with Bobby Knight. And if I booked early in my career, I probably did 20 to 25 commercials. Joe Pitka directed 13, 14 of them. The guy, the guy paid my rent for seven or eight years. Wait, did he help get you on commercials after that? Yeah. Then after that, everything he directed, I was, he would just give me an offer for it. At one point we flew on his private jet up to mammoth to do a commercial up there, a Spartacus commercial for Pepsi. And then at one point we flew to New York to do a Nextel commercial where I had a bunch of emus following me through New York city, grand central station. Dude, what? How do this I not know amazing. any of this? Oh yeah, man. He was, he, he really helped me like get on. He was the reason I was able to quit bartending to really focus on acting. So my career was one that really started in commercials. Then I got some guest stars and then from guest stars, I got some recurring guest stars and from there some series regulars. And then, so, I mean, it was a pretty clear trajectory for my career and it was, so I, I'm telling you, Joe Pinka was a huge part of it. That's I've never heard this story before. So that's uh, and he was the king of commercials. Are you, but, but no movies. He didn't do movies at all. No, I think space jam was like one of the only movies he did. Why well, just, it was just too long for him. He would have just lost his shit on people. Too I don't, much. He, I read his writer one time I was with his agent. Uh, and I read his writer. I mean, he got paid. I mean, at that time, I think he was making six, $700,000 per commercial. And so, and he could do, yeah, he'd do a commercial every week if he wanted to. I don't understand then how he got put on Space Jam, a Michael Jordan. Th th that had to be, there had to be a connection with branding, with Gatorade well, he, or? Maybe he probably with the brand because he did all of Minute Maid, Pepsi, that whole thing. He also is a massive sports fan. Mm -hmm. Maybe massive he and Jordan knew fan. each other somehow. Maybe he knew Jordan somehow. Yeah, yeah. He so did, did all the Bo Nose commercials. So if you reached and, out to him right now, would he big time you or would you big time him now? Because no, I wouldn't you, big time him. He, yeah. he, I ran into him in the aisle with my son at Home Depot about two years ago. LA, man. And, and I said, Joe. And he looks over and he goes, hey, hey, how are you, man? I said, I'm, I'm good, dude. I'm good. How are you? How are you? You look good. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, I just saw you in something. What, 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 what I see you in? You were playing like a cop or something. I said, uh, I don't, I don't know. Would I play a cop? And I said, Oh, maybe an FBI. He said, Yeah, FBI agent. He said the show was shit, but you were, you were pretty good. <laughs> I said, Oh yeah. I said I played J Edgar Hoover in Boardwalk Empire. You know, all last season. He's like, Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was it. The like, show yeah. was shit. Yeah, yeah. Show Some was shit. Some people like it. Yeah, I mean, most people like it. The Emmys say otherwise, but yeah, you know, sure. But it's not Space Jam. No, and it's not, it's, it's longer than he, what he's used to. Yeah, yeah. He's used to 60, 30 to 60 seconds. You're in for a whole 30 minutes. Oh, no, he's, full hour, right? He's more short form. Yeah, sure. I understand. That's like somebody, that's like somebody who does the short form documentary. Like, ah, oh, this movie is, oh, this Gandhi. What a sack of shit. This is They're over Man. three hours. Yeah. Oh, the Irishman three and a half hours. I actually have it in 27 that. minutes. You didn't see it? <laughs> no, I, I saw it in a theater and in the river Oaks theater, which you may be familiar with. Not a comfortable place. It's an no. old school theater, yeah. old school seats. And I was just dying to see that combination of actors and was really excited to see it. And I liked it. I liked it. Fine. I know it's, I know it's hip to say you hated it or whatever, but I liked it. I thought the performances were were really really strong. I thought Robert, I thought Joe Pesci was fantastic in an understated role for once. Mm -hmm. But um, so that's that's I, I want to stay on your trajectory because you went from commercials and then you went into movies. When were you first? What was your first movie that you booked? That what was your first movie that I would recognize or TV show? Uh, Cursed. I did a, a Wes Craven movie called Cursed. Uh, a couple years out of college, uh, I played the bad. I played, I, we were basically the Cobra Kai's, uh, Jesse Eisenberg was the lead yeah. of that movie with Christina Ricci and, uh, Milo Wait, Jesse Eisenberg was a badass. No, 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 no. He was like the nerd. He's Ralph Malchio. 
he's the nerd Ralph Macchio yeah. with Christina Ricci is the Elizabeth Shue. They're brother sisters. And uh, Milo Ventimiglia is like Johnny. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, and then there were two of us, me and one other guy. And I, I can't remember the actor's name. And the three of us were like the Cobra guy. I was kind of like, put him in a body bag. I was that guy, you know? So like there were some high school scenes, you know, I would come up and throw his books on the ground. Uh, and there's a, a great wrestling uh, scene at the end of the movie. For, for those who don't recognize, for those who don't recognize the name Milo Ventimiglia, is that how it's pronounced? Milo Ventimiglia, yeah, this he's, he's on, on TV a lot, right yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah. He, he's on uh, This Is Us right now. He's the he's the dad everyone loves. He's the husband everyone loves. Yeah, I think he just did a, a movie with a dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my wife oh. won't see that, but she will see. She will see This Is Us. She loves that one. There you go. She never saw Cursed, but she sees a lot of his stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, Cursed is uh, it was Cursed at the box office. What was Wes Craven like? Uh, Wes is, was very old when we did that movie. At one point we were in a gym with about 500 extras and we did a take of, of a scene on my coverage and we stopped the take and he, he kind of looks across the gym at me and kind of, he kind of raises his hand. He's over there doing crossword puzzles, just looking down. I don't even think he watched the monitor. He kind of raises his hand and looks at me and he starts walking across the gym and he's old. So he's at this point, he's older. Now he's dead, right. but he was slowly walking across the gym. Now there's 500 extras watching this. And I'm like, Oh man, what is this going to be? My first movie, Wes Craven. What's the note going to be? What can I do better? Shit. So he comes all the way. I would, it felt like an eternity. It probably took him 30 seconds. He got to me. He still got his crossword in his hand. He looks up and he goes, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> and he turns around and he walks all the way back down the gym. <laughs> and then he said, all right, let's do it again. <laughs> Poor guy forgot his note. Oh man, that sucks. And I was like, hey, which really sucks too. Cause everybody thought I got noted, you know, like everybody in the gym. I'm like, there was no note. Nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Is that a big deal to get noted? Well, I mean, when I was a young actor in front of all those people, I was like, oh, man. At that point, you just kind of want the director to be like, that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you Instead, know, you thought he was coming over to, to, to slice you up. Yeah, but he so didn't. Let, so when did you – so I had um, I had someone – I was talking about doing this, this podcast today. And a friend of mine says – and we were talking about you and the different things that you've been in. Give your top, give your top seven things that you've been in. Don't don't include the incredible Pepsi commercials. Okay, okay. Well, if we're gonna move that, I don't know. Things I'm most proud of are you know uh, a show called The Killing, which was on AMC, and that kind of changed. That was one of the first kind of serialized season long crime thrillers. At that point, kind of brought mm -hmm. back that that genre that we see a lot of now. The Killing was amazing. I spent a couple seasons on Mad Men, which was fantastic uh my season on boardwalk empires j edgar hoover was something i was really proud of uh i did a series called generation kill for hbo um and spent seven months in africa and that was just a, a unbelievable experience we'll get into because we're going to have guests from that so we'll, sure. we'll get into that in the podcast um i did a show with jack black a couple years ago at pablo schreiber and tim robbins called the brink it was very short-lived but it was a fantastic comedy uh i think it just didn't get the run that it probably deserved i think you know unfortunately and um yeah and the show i'm I, the show i just finished that airs in september i, I hope that's going to be one i can be proud of uh it's called the right stuff so we'll see what it turns out it's based on the book by tom wolf right how about how about for all mankind it was also on Apple. for all one mankind was awesome yeah for all mankind was a good show yeah yeah apple plus one of the first one of the first streaming shows on uh mm. on apple plus so he said, here's the question I was, I was talking about you. And I said, you know, Eric's one of those guys who you recognize him, but you can't always place him because he's been in a lot of stuff. And I started naming all the different things you've been in, including shows you didn't mention. And he said, wow, sounds like he's busy a lot. I said, yeah, he is. He is fairly busy. He said, that's got to be almost like the perfect setup. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he's not so famous that he's you know, that, that he gets bothered when he goes out to dinner or to the movies, or he gets hassled by paparazzi. 
but he's busy enough to to have a nice living and still be able to to travel and do things. And I thought, I thought I'd ask you directly, like their superstar status. But as we see in the Jordan documentary, and, and we know this anyway, once you get to a certain level of fame, your life changes forever, and not necessarily in a good way. Yeah, that's iconic. That's there's about ten of those, right? Jordan, Madonna. Right. Like, yeah, sure, sure. And there's, a, yeah. and there's actors and actresses in your, sure. in your craft, but how is it to be noticed from time to time, but to be able to go in relative anonymity and yet still get to let, do, do you want more acclaim and more attention publicly? Like, how do you, how do you like that? Listen, I'd be lying if I said I didn't appreciate it when people come up and tell you they, they like your work. I, you know, um, I'm recognized a fair amount. Most of the time, though, I watch people and I will see them look at me and then double take and then in their head try to figure out if we went to high school together uh, or if they've seen me in something. Um, whenever anybody comes up and tells me, you know, how much they appreciate my work, then that's or I loved you in this or I love that show. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, I would ha I have no interest in going through what many of like the biggest stars in the world go through. I not, not even for any amount part. of money, not even no, for any amount of money. Okay. No, I really, I, I just, I feel like that quality of life gets really gnarly um, mm -hmm. to be where you, you felt like you feel like you can't leave your house or your kids can't have the life that they want to have. Um, but that being said, I certainly would like to do more roles that would garner more attention. If that makes mm -hmm. sense, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, so I think it's probably a little bit of both. You Have know, you ever thought I, about, but I, I don't really, I, I don't really just to finish on that. That's not really ever been a motivating factor for me. Never has that been a motivating factor for me. I love, I love, love, love what I do. I love the process of what I do. I love it from start to finish. Um, it's usually all the stuff that comes afterwards, the press, the criticism, the, you know, the criticizing, uh, but all that comes along with the, you know, the, the lauding as well. But that's the stuff that usually is not as appealing to me. Have you ever thought Honestly. about getting out of the game as it were? No, I didn't think no. so. I, 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 there are times where I'm defeated but never to a point where I'm like, I, there are times where I think I might not be able to do this anymore because I don't know they're, They don't want, they don't want me anymore, but I've never, no, I've never been like, I'm done. I think it's normal though, in, in any business, especially the entertainment business. And you, you and I are both in the entertainment business and different, in different realms. But I think it's an, it's a normal thing to have self-doubt, to have questions, yes. to, it, it's easy to, to get worn down, uh, mentally, especially with negative feedback that can be social media, negative feedback if you are, if everything that, that you're judging yourself by are box office, or for us, it would be ratings or whatever the case may be, when you know that you don't have full control over all of that at all times. So I think it's pretty normal for a lot of people to go through that. And a lot of people in, in just regular everyday life to just say, man, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And then two days later, you're like, ah, I'm fine. That was just a day. I had a bad day. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, is like in my business in particular, you deal with so much rejection. You know, I mean, the amount of times that I go in on meetings for things and then do not get it, but the work is put in, it's, you know, it's unlike any other business. So that can be pretty deflating. Um, and, and oftentimes the other thing that separates is, is when I don't get it, it can be personal. Now, they're personal things that I have no control over. He's too short. He's too tall. He's too fat. He's too thin. He's too white, whatever it is. But like, I have no control over that stuff, right? So part of you learns how to say, that's out of my control. All I can do is go and do the best I can be. But then there's another part of you that takes that personally. You have and to. And I think you have to. Yeah, you have to. It's exactly. competitive. You're in a very competitive process. I, I think people sometimes don't realize that. I mean, it's a, you're in a constant competition for every role that you get. There's competition yes. for that role. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, until you get to a certain place, certain place in your career where you are the choice. And there are times where even in my place, I've been the choice for something. 
and that makes the road a lot shorter. But you know, there's still competition. Get, do you get yourself jacked up be- before a read, and you like? Do you listen? Do you put your headphones on, or do you start looking into the mirror and doing an Eminem rap, or mm-hmm. like? pounding your chest or like saying i'm the man i'm the man like do you do stuff to psych yourself out and make yourself believe that you're the man no i i it's based on the character so like i mean i guess if i was about to play ufc fighter that felt that way maybe i would you know but you have to get in the mindset of the character so if the character Mm. is not that then there'd be no point in doing okay that's put you in an emotional state that's that's not like the one of the character so okay so let me put you in a state then all right so you're that squirrely piece of shit scott anderson uh, mm. from, from whatever newspaper he writes for in Bosch. LA and, times. Yeah. The LA times and you're getting ready and you're getting yourself psyched up. Yeah. Just a little paper, the LA times. And then you're getting yourself psyched up because you know, you want to play Scott Anderson when you went in to play Scott Anderson and you had this slimy squirrely piece of shit in your head. Like that's how you saw that character and you, and you play it great by the way. Mm-hmm. Cause Thank it's you. so much so that I'm like, is fucking Eric really this squirrely and slimy. And I'm like, no, he's an actor. This is his craft. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I always doubt myself. I'm like, maybe he is that guy, but that's a different thing. Did you, when you read it, were you like, okay, I need to be a fucking conniving backstabbing shit. No, but there are times in, in certain, I will approach, I will go into rooms oftentimes with that attitude. So, you know, first thing I do is smoke a cigarette on my way in. Yeah, obviously. Okay. The next thing. What would Scott do? That's right. What would Scott do? Then I don't put it in an ashtray. I flick it at somebody's face on my way in. That's a Scott. Right. Total power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I walk into the building. There's Mm -hmm. three people waiting for the elevator. The doors open. I walk in first. You're first. Yeah. Alpha move. Yeah. Uh, Then I walk out of the elevator. I walk in. There's three actors waiting. And most of the time you'd sign your name at the bottom because those three guys got in before you. I yeah. signed it above. I signed nice. it up top. Yeah. All these power moves. People need, I hope you guys are listening and taking notes. You can do this at a doctor's office too. You don't sure. have to be, uh, oh, I'm going to go in for a read for this character. Fuck mm-hmm. that. You could be going into an orthodontic orthodontist appointment or a pediatrician and they're going to see your child. But you know what's a real power move that Eric just told you? You know what? Don't put your name in order, like fifth, boom, mm-hmm. go to the top or even scratch yeah. out whoever's on top and put your name above it. For sure. That's not, and that's, yeah, for sure. They won't start, read that name first. Yeah, they absolutely will. And then, uh, yeah, then I go in there and, uh, you know, with the mindset that uh, I'm doing them a great service by allowing them to watch my, me perform. Yeah. And that's, and, and it feels accurate. Scott. It feels yeah, accurate for Scott, doesn't it? It feels accurate um, for that character. Right. For that particular character. There you go. I don't know if all your characters would, would do the same thing. That's Although, a real secret of the trade there I just gave away. Yeah, so every actor. That's the year of acting school know. right there. So do you think when Robert De Niro, when he did Fockers 2, like he <laughs> brought to him Fockers 1 or whatever, like he was the same mindset, like I'm going to be the same guy in Fockers 2 and Fokker three year of the Fockers or whatever. Do you think he was the same guy in all those? I think he was just richer. I think that was, <laughs> that was just a guy who did not, that was just, that okay. was just a guy who just That's backed fair. up the Brinks truck. Yeah. So an analyze <laughs> this, when there he did analyze that, okay. When he did analyze this, did he come in as, okay, I'm going to right now be Jimmy Conway from Goodfellas and analyze this. And then when I do analyze that, the sequel, I'm going to bring some of my analyze this character into analyze that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. See, just bring a, it in. It's a, it's like, it's a flow chart, but it makes sense. Yeah, man. I mean, totally. you're, you're just a, you're just living, bro. You're just a, you're just a living being, you know, you, Always you guys get it. typecast so easily. You've been yeah. a soldier. You've been an, you're an astronaut phase right now. I think that's fair. Yeah. I'm a space phase. I'm ready yeah, to go into Western phase. I'm ready to like, I'm ready to get on a horse, grow out a beard, move to Montana for two years. How do you think you would have done in the old West with all those clothes, no showers, no AC, everything yeah, is basically, everything's beef jerky basically. Yeah, no, that wouldn't have been my jam. I'm uh, I'd like, I'm like a, a 2020 cowboy. Hmm. 
What's that? What's that look like? Sorry, 2019, pre-COVID. I'm a pre-COVID cowboy. What does that look like? Because I think, well, I'm just saying, like, I wear jeans and boots a lot. Okay. My cowboy hat is, I wear a fair amount. You keep it in Um, a box? Does it have its own box? I I wear it too often to put it in a box. Oh, that's real then. Yeah. Uh, I I like bourbon. I drink brown. Where do you hold on a second? Wait, wait, I'm not just gonna let this I was, pass. Okay, I was gonna wait for you, you to stop that. Where the fuck do you wear a cowboy hat in Los Angeles or La Jolla? Please tell me where your cowboy phase you, is. You'd be surprised at the amount of people that appreciate a cowboy hat down here. Yeah, I would. I would be. I don't appreciate it, and I live in Houston. <laughs> Two on the nose in Houston. Yeah, it's like we we're trying to get away from that old stereotype. People, People don't people don't look twice. You can wear whatever you want in LA. People don't look So twice. you wear a cowboy hat and boots in LA. Uh no, I don't wear my cowboy hat as often. I'm just messing around. But I do camping, I love wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah. And oftentimes when I'm out like in the sun like this, if I go outside, watch the kids ride bikes or whatever, cowboy hat offers a pretty good amount of sun protection. That's I fair. like it. Uh, you know, I like my bourbon. Mm-hmm. Uh, my rye. So that, you know, that checks that cowboy box. I'm learning to play the banjo. Mm. Um, so. Well, you're just trying to lean into the cowboy thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, they say, if you want something, you have to put it out in the world to, you know, you to go. make it a reality. And how are you going to be ready for a Western role? If you don't, if I'm not putting have, it out. Do you, do you chew or dip? Have you ever practiced Bingo. that? No, not since high school. I did it once, threw up, and I'm like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out on this. This isn't for me. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's not something I'd do. What about you? Your, 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 no, no, beyond dipping. What about your comeuppance in the radio game? Well, so. You, you went, you, you, you spent some time in New Orleans first, but, but take us before you went to Tulane. Okay, so my dad moved from where your dad was in the football business. So my dad was um, a high school coach at a school outside of Houston, a high school. And then he went to University of Houston, got his first college coaching job. And uh, we stayed in the same. He just drove into Houston from the suburbs and we stayed there. And then um, did you want to be a football player? Yeah, I wanted to be an athlete, football player, baseball player, basketball player, like a lot of kids. I grew up just wanting to be an athlete. And then from year to year, from season to season, it would change what kind of professional athlete I wanted to be. And so good. I was not bad. I was pretty good. I was uh, I was a late bloomer. So I was taller when I was younger. But then I but then I didn't like go through puberty as fast as some of the other guys. So I like the bat speed wasn't as good when I was a freshman in high school or sophomore in high school things like that. I wasn't, I went from being more like a small forward in basketball to a point guard. Um, and my foot quickness wasn't as good as it needed to be, but I was even, even when I, I, I was still, you know, I had a decent skill level at the things that I did. I was a decent athlete. I just, I kind of, once everyone hit puberty, I was slower to the game. So it took mm. a little longer to catch up, um, in that regard. But, you know, I always soaked in sports, always soaked it in. And I thought a different way, like, I thought about sports and my dad's in there watching tape in, in a, one of the bedrooms he converted to an office room in our house. And so he's in there watching tape and he calls me in and it turns out it was Kurt Gibson, the Dodger great and mm-hmm. Detroit um, Tiger great. This is when he was, yeah, this is when he was a wide receiver with Michigan state. And so he called wow. me in cause he wanted me to see this guy, Kurt Gibson. He was watching some, tape of Michigan state. He wanted me to see Kurt Gibson. I didn't know who he was. I didn't, you know, I just, I went in there and I watched tape with him from time to time, but there's no romantic notion no. of, wow, you were watching tape and then you cut. Cause now I, I watch tape for NFL.com and I job. Dra- draft profiles, but that really did nothing for me at that mm. particular time. I was bored by that. Um, but I knew I wanted to be in sports. I wasn't sure how, but I always knew I was going to be in sports. I just, I knew it would be the case. And um, just to kind of speed the process along, I mean, there was nothing I was doing in college or otherwise other than being a voracious reader and talking about sports nonstop and arguing about it. Uh, Well, I take it back. There is one thing that was a big turning point. So when I'm in New Orleans, I start going into a pool hall called the Sports Palace. 
And the Sports Palace is awesome to me because I'm also a fan of movies and character development. And so I'm in this place called Sports Palace. Where you're in they, college right now. I'm in college. I'm at Tulane. Okay. I'm in New Orleans. I go into this place. It's a pool hall. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fairly seedy. Most things in New Orleans are seedy. So yeah, I go it's in like there. A clean version of Mexico. That's what I call New Orleans. That's a that's fairly accurate. Yeah, that's actually fairly accurate. Yeah. So I am um, clean as a relative term too. <laughs> Maybe depends it's a dirty version of Mexico. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it depends on when you catch it. But um, so I go into this pool hall on a regular basis, and the guy who runs it. I think he owns it, maybe runs it. I'm not sure. His name was Buffalo Jimmy. Of course. And that was his name. Buffalo Jimmy. He was from Buffalo. So he's Buffalo Jimmy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. James Leone, Buffalo Jimmy. And so he starts calling me Kerwin. What's your name? Lance. Oh, your kid Kerwin. I'm like, "Uh, no, I said I was Lance. No, your kid Kerwin. Okay. Because there was an actor named Lance Kerwin. Okay. So I'm kid Kerwin now. And that's Mm -hmm. all there is to it. And there Mm -hmm. is no, the, the name Lance is dead. So he likes me, starts talking to me. He said, okay, over there, that's white bear because he's a white guy. They call bear a black guy <laughs> whose nickname was also bear. He was black bear. Black that's bear. correct. How'd you get yep. that? Hmm. You had um, spider who worked behind the bar, who was the meanest man that's ever lived. He used to drink <laughs> spider balls, which were vodka and coffee. Um, that's how he got his day started off. You had, um, you had little hand Gus. He had a little hand because of polio. So they called him little hand Gus. Yep. That's how it works. This Physical deformity way. immediately turns into a nickname. I feel like this would not have flown in 2020. It totally would have in the sports palace. It probably is to this day. Right. There's some places where the rules have not updated. Or the years. Or the years. It's, 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 it's Groundhog Day. It's the same thing. Buffalo Jimmy is actually still in Louis, in New Orleans area with a, with a different pool hall that he's been at for a while. So anyway, one of the guys I ran into, uh, he actually lived in Houston. I met up with Little Hand Gus when I gave him some winners, and he Didn't made a bunch of money. Uh, I was kind of told just like, you know, don't fist bump, don't shake hands. Just, just stay away from you, the hands. He's going to give you an envelope because you picked winners for him in football and mm-hmm. he made some money. He's mm-hmm. going to probably give you some money. He's going to give you a little tribute. So just accept the money and say, thank you. And that's it. That's all you do. So that's all I did. Mm-hmm. But, but, and I didn't look at the hand or anything. I just, I know the rod. Yeah. yeah. Watch enough TV. Like, you know, certain rules to this game, I assume. Right. right. So anyway, while I was in there, that's kind of a fast forward of, you know, look ahead. But when I was in the sports palace, I met a guy named Pete Parmalee, who was Pete was um, Pete was a guy who had worked at a place called Freeport McMoran and he was upper management and they let him go kind of a golden parachute situation where he was making so much money that they, they bought him out. They let him go. My guess is he was in his fifties at that point of his life. And he took a liking to me. And, and he was one of the guys who he was not like a lot of the creeps who were in the the, the sports palace, you could tell he was different. Like he was from new Orleans. So he had this, he had a gruff, you know, a Kerwin. next time you're watching the saints, I can't stand the way the linebackers are playing the three, four. He has this, he has a Shalmet accent. If you're in new Orleans, you know, the whole yats like where right. you at. It's a Shalmet accent. It's a very thick accent. You can hear it on a Netflix show called the pharmacist. That Ooh. is what a, that is what a Shalmet accent sounds like. So anyway, um, he takes me under his wing and he starts teaching me how to handicap football games against a point spread. Now, I'm fully aware that my dad at this particular point is coaching in the World League of American football that would eventually be named NFL Europe. And and it did actually it didn't dawn on me until later that one of the reasons he befriended me is because he probably thought that he could get some type of insight or inside information for when he wanted to gamble on this new sports league, this new football league. So anyway, Pete would teach me how to create power rankings. And so I learned the math of how to create a power rating based off of the USA Today, Jeff Sagarin, his power rating is how you got started. And then you did some basic math. And he taught me the philosophies of of college football teams work off of emotion, pro football teams work mm-hmm. off of, you know, it's 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 less about emotion, it's more about matchups and so he taught me a lot of, of little things that helped me look at football more analytically and really sports more analytically, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. When you look at it through a handicapping lens where you're trying to pick 
the winner of the game, but you also have a number, a, a point spread that kind of normalizes the game between the two sides. It mm-hmm. forces you to be much more analytical. And so I took that skill level when I when I was in when I was 24 years old, I was working full time at a job that I hated, making four hundred dollars a week, working about 60 hours a week at a job I hated. And actually was married. It was a car repair place. I can't tell you how to change. I can't change a tire barely, but because I'd been in the, Oh no, I was, I didn't know anything, but because I'd been in a restaurant business, this company was hiring managers from the restaurant business, from the Pappas restaurants, as you know, Papado, Papacitos, Mm -hmm. they knew what they were doing. They were really good with customer service and upselling and things like this. So this was a high end car repair place. And so they wanted restaurant people who knew how to upsell and were good with customer service. And so I got in there. But the problem is you have to know something about cars. Eventually, you will have a question that is asked of you that requires a cursory knowledge of brake pads. Eventually, the, the guys who are doing the actual fixing of the cars will ask you questions like, well, what did he say is going on with his spark plug ratio or whatever? You and I'm say like, um, what do you, what should I ask him? <laughs> what do you mean? What should I ask you? You don't know anything about cars. I'm not, uh, yeah, I know some that here's your first, here's your first move. If you're dealing with somebody who knows a lot about something, never tell them, you know, some like I've made this mistake. No, I've, I've made the mistake of acting like I know Spanish better than I do. Mm-hmm. I can speak it with a, with an accent that sounds good. Like I know but, more than I do, but you're speaking English. And then, well, no, no, I, I do speak a modicum of Spanish, but if you try to speak it to, you know, if you try to come off to, to really fluent, if your sound, if your accent is, is too mm-hmm. good, then they'll think, oh, well, he knows what I'm saying. Let me just roll down on top of him with an avalanche of Spanish and then it's lights out. And then I've got to right. show that I'm the fool that actually doesn't know that. So at this car repair place, I hate it. And I, one day I just quit. I quit and I say, you know what? I'm going to start my own sports business because this is what I was meant to do. I knew I was meant to do in my heart. I knew I was. I would, I would get out of work and go watch the NBA draft and study the NBA draft the whole week. So I knew who was what and where they should be drafted. And that's just, that was my love. That's what I knew I was meant to do. And so, um, I quit and I started my own business called Pigskin Sports. And my idea was I'm going to get into sports through a side door. And the side door is going to be gambling because there's not a lot of this on the radio or TV. And so, But I was only thinking radio. So I started Pigskin Sports and I said, I'll handicap all that information I learned from the sports palace and I'll start my own company. So I, I started writing letters to radio stations. I got on in about four or five stations. Um, because I guess my, my letter was good enough and people needed programming on the weekend or, and so the host would bring me on. That was, that was your version of finding a mirror in the Valley. That was the exact same thing. My Amir in the Valley was me writing letters, pretending that I was much more accomplished than I actually was getting on the radio and actually learning how to be on the radio while I was there hyperventilating. Um, I got a phone line in my, in my two bedroom apartment. I got, um, a phone line and set up in my kitchen. And that was my, when people would call for picks, I would answer and give them my picks. That's literally, and I would get money through Western union. They would wire it into me is how I was doing it at that particular time. And so every single day, this is how I was making my money is I had to really do a good job on the radio. I needed people to be listening. I needed for them to call me and get a free pick. And then I needed my free pick to win so that they might spend a hundred dollars or $120 for a month of service. And so I was living truly like on, I had to pick well to so keep people re-upping. Did you give half free, half, did you split them? So you knew you'd be, win your free picks. Did you get half never, one never, and half the other? I was never a boiler room guy. Never. I didn't even, I never even thought about it like that. Really? No, no, I didn't. And I was pretty good. How'd your free picks do? Good. It's good. It's funny. Did you focus on one sport? Um, I started on football, but once basketball rolled around, I'm like, I know basketball even better than football. Why don't I just Mm -hmm. start doing basketball? And then baseball kicked my ass some, but yeah, it was mainly football and basketball. And I got into baseball betting for about a season. But baseball is really hard, and there's so many games. It's hard, and you really need to pay attention. 
You need yeah. to pay attention to weather for over-unders. There's a lot of things to pay attention to. Yeah. yeah. But I can tell you this, Eric, when, when, when you have given out a five-star selection, your very highest, and you know that it's near the end of the month, and if you win this, people will re-up for the next month or maybe even the next year. But if you lose, your income could go to zero. I swear to you, I was in a bathroom and I had, it was, it was the bulls versus the heat. And I'll never forget that I was in a bathroom and this is the Jordan bulls actually at this particular time, I was in a bathroom gagging and like, I was almost throwing up. I was so nervous that I was in a bathroom like, uh, uh." yeah. And I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know yeah, if you needed me to. No, no, we all. I feel like everybody here knows what a thro- what throwing up sounds like. Yeah, it was very similar to that, only okay. with more. Like it was yeah. more aggressive. Okay. And I ended up winning that game, but I just thought, dude, I can't keep. I mean, I can't keep doing this. Well, this whole time I'm hustling. I'm going and meeting this guy John Granado, who was. I'm making phone calls to him. He's doing a local TV show. Like, wow, your show's great. I love watching local cable. Um, I'm going out on location to where his his shows are, and he's getting to know me and meet me. And he sees I'm, you know, pretty sharp for being, you know, a young guy in his 20s, mid 20s. And so he gets to know me over the course of, I guess, a year and a half. Remember, I'm doing radio at the same time too, doing my little my my radio hits from from time to time on these picks on on Fridays. Mm-hmm. And so I go out to one of his TV or TV shows, and I start talking about I can do fantasy football too. Here's my fantasy stuff that I do. And this is before fantasy is huge. This isn't about mm-hmm. like 96. So anyway, Granado one day goes, hey, Lance, it's Granado. What's going on? I'm like, hey, what's going on? And he goes, listen, uh, Kenny Smith had to bail. He was going to come out on location. He was with the Rockets at that time. Kenny Smith, or maybe had just gotten out of the Rockets. He said, Kenny Smith is supposed to come out. Can you come out and do like a fantasy football segment or something like that. We've got to have a guest tonight and it's going to be in 30 minutes or 40 minutes. It was, can you get here in 40 minutes? And I'm like, yes. And I lived about 37 minutes away. (gasps) (gasps) This is my big chance on TV. So I haul ass and I get to the sports bar and they immediately are putting Michael. I don't know what it's, I don't know what getting mic'd up is like. I don't know what any of this shit is like. (laughs) Right. So immediately I'm on him. Yes. I think that, uh, Scott Humph- who is it? Who is Humphreys with the uh, with the San Diego Chargers, the quarterback Neil Humphreys or whatever. Neil Humphreys? Yeah, and I also think that Steve Young has an opportunity to have a really good year for San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> so deer in headlights. So scared. I'm just trying. And then the second segment because he had to just kill like three segments. I got better the second segment, and it was better. And they're like, "Okay, you survived. You're okay. We'll give you another chance down the road if you want." I'm like, yeah, "Absolutely." So I came back and I was better and we developed a really good rapport. I'd go to his house and play cards from time to time. And then he got a radio gig with another, um, with another guy in the 24 hour sports talk station that was two years old, two and a half years old that I was doing free weekend shows. I was doing weekend football shows. And here's how I got that one. My picks. This is why free picks are so important. The guy who ran the station was a big gambler, an old school gambler. And he used my picks that, that I was giving out one time on the show that I was on, on, on 610 AM here in Houston, the first 24 hour sports talk show in the city of Houston. And they were winners. I gave out three picks and he went three and oh. And because of that, he's like, Hey partner, you really know your shit. You know, football good. You got the hot shit. I want to see about putting you on a weekend show. Why don't you do your football show or something like that on a weekend? So I say, well, what about fantasy football on the weekend? Yeah, partner, that's fine. So Dickie puts me on on a weekend, and so I'm working for free. But I mean, I'm I'm doing a weekend. But you're on the radio. Fuck, that's incredible. I was getting to yeah. talk sports. Actually, it wasn't even fantasy football. I was talking sports um, with a guy named Nate Griffin, and then I do a fantasy football show after that. So one hour sports, one hour fantasy football. I got paid nothing, but it was incredible. But that's and how you cut your teeth. Is that's how I cut my teeth? Two hours. Yeah. Yes, a hundred percent. And my personality started coming out, but Nate wasn't really comfortable with like this. Isn't how sports talk shows are. Ugh, this isn't how they're supposed to sound. Well, anyway, so Dicky was comfortable with me as a. He knew I knew my stuff. I had the hot shit, as he said. I had the hot shit, Padna. So. 
Granado knew me. Dickie knew me. The other guy backed out of the, the, the deal with John Granado. And John said, well, I don't want to lose this gig. How about Lance Sirline from your does the weekend shows? What about him? And because I was also going to be super cheap for a morning radio show, Dickie mm-hmm. said, yes. Yeah. So here I was like 26 years old doing morning drive time radio. All I'd ever done was weekend. Yeah, I shouldn't. It's a job you never would have thought about getting in. But because I had some picks, because I had some picks that won, because I was making phone calls to John like, hey, I love your show. You mind if I come out? I want to come out to your show and watch you guys. And, you know, I hustled. I made connections. Things fell in place. And before you know it, when everything falls into place for you, but you're sowing your own seeds to make it a reality, by the way, this is how opportunity happens. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, listen, that did not come, you know, by happenstance. I mean, you were talking to Granada. You were busting your ass learning everything you needed to learn within the the handicapping world so that your picks were good. You know what I mean? It's not like you just threw spaghetti no. at the wall. No, I was so, winning. Yeah, you were winning, but you were working to that, you know? So, the, you know, yes, it was early. Yes, it was crazy, but it certainly is not surprising. It's not, you know. Uh, there's a reason that you were in that spot. And then you guys became just a fast forward. You oh. guys became like the top rated drive yeah. morning show at Houston. No. Yeah. We were like the, I mean, you were we were one of the, one of the two headliner shows of the station. And, you know, we, we've become, um, you know, we've I, not to, not to, not to brag. And I don't think this is boastful, but our names are going to be synonymous with Houston radio for yeah, most for people sure. who have listened to sports radio for a while. I've, I've been at four stations. I've had number one shows at different times at all four stations. Um, twice, three times with John. Once when I was um, uh, when I left for a little bit from the, from from my radio host and went and did my own thing for six years. Uh, but then you know, at the same time, I was I also became got really big into football. The from the analysis standpoint, and I already was doing football analysis, college and pro football. Because when you handicap, you're analyzing football. And I was talking about, you know, I was a sports talk host. I was talking about football in general. I started doing NFL draft stuff in 2001 before the Texans were coming in 2002. And I just kept getting more and more into it. I drive myself out to the senior bowl in Mobile, Alabama. So Um, were you the reason they drafted Carr? I was not. I was not. I liked, uh, I like Julius Peppers better, but what did I know? I I didn't know yeah, as much I mean, as I needed to know. God, they went with Derek Carr. Yeah, it was a much uh, David Carr, much better. Yeah, I wish we had Derek Carr. My bad. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, you know, you fast forward like another decade, basically, and I'm introducing myself to some people. I, I got a, a connection to a to a name, a guy named Charlie Yuke at NFL Network, and and. Um, he was the guy who was kind of the right-hand man for Mike Mayock. And I was trying to get a hold of Mike Mayock for another company. I was doing some stuff on the side with, and, uh, I got to know Charlie a little bit. Charlie got to know me. He knew I was pretty good at what I did. I started writing. I'd been doing, um, NFL draft stuff for a pretty successful blog on the Houston Chronicle called the Z report. And, and before you know it, I had, I'd let him know about my desire to do NFL draft stuff with NFL.com at some point. Like I said, you can't get opportunity. If you, you don't hustle, it, you got to yep. plant seeds. You yep. must plant seeds. But the For same sure. thing with, I guess I'm a cold pussy, things like that. Mm-hmm. Th- there's little moments that you can go back in time and say, man, this moment, this small moment in time was a major turnkey opportunity for yeah. me. And I've had a couple of those, one in radio and then one with NFL Network, because in 2014, um, they reached out to me about doing NFL draft work for them. And it was on a one-year basis. But I didn't say no to anything. I busted my ass on 500 draft profiles. Anytime they needed an article, can you do this? Yes. Can you do this? Yes. There was never a no. I didn't say a no at any point. I did everything that I possibly could. And, um, you know, from there, once you get your opportunity, you know how it is. You got to perform. At some point, you got to perform. But it is really all about making contacts. And then the preparation has to meet the opportunity. That's That's when luck finds you. That's right. So what would you say is the, the, that, that one singular moment? What was that one singular moment where you thought, was it, was it vomiting in the bathroom and then having a win? Was it the moment you quit your job at the car place? Like that moment that you look back on and you were like, that was the moment that like, that was the decision that changed my life that put me on the path that I'm on. 
you know, it's easy to go all the way back. And it could be when I said, I'm literally going to quit with a pregnant wife as my first marriage with a pregnant wife and a child on the way and have no job. I would never have the balls to do something like that. Never. But Mm. at that point, I, I didn't know any better. Yeah. And I would say, you know, it's easy to say that one where I quit and decided I was going to start my own sports company. But really, if you really want to get right to it, I think it was the decision to pick up the phone and make a phone call to a guy who was doing a local uh, Mm -hmm. nightly sports talk show from a bar in Houston. Right. And I would and I called and I just introduced myself and then went out to the location to to meet him as well because that was the one that got me onto Houston radio yeah. a chance to have I was already doing Houston radio but that was the one that got me onto drive time radio which has been where everything has grown from there's a great lecture by this by this guy named Randy Pausch uh it's called the last lecture and he says in that he's essentially writing this lecture to the graduating class at Carnegie Mellon before he dies of terminal cancer. And he's, the lecture is about all the things that he's learned and how to, you know, try to navigate life. But one of them that always, I always remember is like the way he says it is you have to ask, you know, you can't, you have to ask. There's no fault in asking. I mean, what's the worst thing that happens, right? Somebody says, no, and, you know, so you call Granado and introduce yourself and show up. But that would have never happened if you didn't, you know, put your foot forward and do it. So No, but the hunger you have when you have nothing and you have no yeah. safety net, there is, there is something to be said about the excitement um, and the energy that is produced when there is no safety net and you are hungry and starving, yeah. but, in a, but in a good way. Sure. Like, you're hopeful because you still have hope. You're still hopeful uh, to a certain point. That's when you have to strike while your hope is still high in where you don't know any better because, or you just, or you've never felt it. Like, I mean, it's a lot like you see teams that have never won a championship and it's like, they are going to fight and scratch and claw harder than, you know, that's why it's so hard to repeat, right? It's so much easier when you, once you've already won, you've been at the top of the mountain and you feel it. So, um, yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I got to say, I am really pumped to do this podcast. Lance and I just, after meeting at Texans uh, camp two years, three years ago. Hard Knocks, 2014. Oh, man, God, six years ago. Good Yeah, can Lord. you believe that? Have gotten to know each other. And, you know, I've always had a spot. I've always loved sports. And I've always thought, well, I love sports and I love to talk about sports. And that's what Lance and I started doing. And then I don't remember exactly, but I feel like I probably said something after you and I talked for 45 minutes about, you know, sports and Texans. You were like, dude, you should come on the radio sometime. Talk, talk Texans. And I was like, boom, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I probably let you know, like, I love coming on. I love talking. And you were gracious enough to, you know, invite me to come on and, and be a guest and even co-host a couple of times. And um, that's how our relationship started. And then it became past that and uh, and a friendship. Um, And so I think there's going to be between my love of sports and and your love of entertainment. um, This is going to be awesome. Well, here's the thing. We're going to, we're going to have people on from those two worlds and then we're going to cross the streams. Yeah. Movies and theater and, and that kind of culture. So, and I know you, we're going to have, you know, we're going to have actors on. on. Yeah. That who love sports, who love sports. So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun, man. And, and I'm sure that even though the conversation will start in the world of sports or entertainment, it's going to quickly go off script and, and find its way into, into nudist colonies in England. Um, at least that's what we hope. Off script uh, is an, is aptly named because here's the thing as someone who has real ADD, it's no, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a curse, but it's also a blessing because it's been the opportunity for me to do things spontaneously. The problem is when you try to stay on script with me, it doesn't work great. Yeah. Well, I know. line line. <laughs> We're going to get you out. We're going to get you in the movies here pretty soon. It's about time. Yeah. I do local theater. So basically makes me an actor. Um, 
Yeah, man, I'm fired up. I'm really fired up to get this going. We've got a couple guests lined up that we're going to get to this week. And, um, I hope people stick with us and, uh, and, uh, enjoy the show. Subscribe and spread the word. If you want us to take you off script. Our artwork for Off Script is done by the amazing Tony Moles at AnthemAgency.com. You can get him at AnthemAgency.com. That's Anthem without the E, A-N-T-H-M, Agency.com. He's got an Instagram page under the same name, and he did all our art for our Twitter and Instagram feeds. Our music is by the very talented Josh Cook, not only a talented musician and actor, but also a close friend. You can find him on Instagram under Josh Cook, J-O-S-H-C-O-O-K-E, or his website, herelieso.com, H-E-R-E-L-I-E-S-F-O.com, herelieso.com. He also has Instagram feeds on both of those, Josh Cook and Here Lies Foe. And lastly, Blackland Distillery. Huge thank you to Blackland Distillery for not only keeping Lance and I lubricated for our podcast, but also for sending spirits to our guests. Uh, Blackland Distillery can be found online at blacklanddistilleryfw.com, FW for Fort Worth, and online on Instagram, blacklanddistilleryfw. Uh, They have fine, excellent spirits. Give them a look. Give them a try. We'll see you next week.